You're listening to the Sports by Fry podcast. On today's episode, I'm back with a relatively quick fast five after the weekend's sporting action. There wasn't a hell of a lot to talk about. Obviously now, the NBA trade deadline is in the rear vision mirror, so I'm going to address that a touch while also looking at some buyout candidates. I penned a very quick article on sportswifefry.com looking at some guys who could be in line to be bought out and still contribute in the 2019-2020 NBA season. We obviously saw UFC 247 come to fruition as well and there was plenty to talk about from John Jones's win and there's also some other relevant news in the MMA world revolving around arguably the two biggest fighters in the game. College basketball was on full display over the weekend as well with another crazy game between UNC and Duke. So I'm going to tease a little bit of an article I've got in the works looking at some of the college prospects coming up and who we could see emerge as the best player in the collegiate world this season. G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you on a Monday afternoon. Hopefully you had a great weekend and you're ready for another work week. I'm back with a fast five. Probably not a hell of a lot of relevant stuff to talk about. Now that the trade deadline's over in the NBA and the All-Star weekend's coming up, there's going to be a real lull, I think, for the next few weeks. But, you know, sports don't stop. There's still plenty to talk about. I'll find something to talk about, that's for sure. First thing I want to address today is a little bit of NFL stuff. I want to mainly look at Tom Brady and the New England Patriots because I'm almost sure that Tom Brady is going to stay with the Patriots. There are multiple rumours floating around saying he's going to join the artist formerly known as the Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, maybe even flirt with joining the LA Chargers. The Chicago Bears have been rumoured around still to be around the mix for the last few months or so, but I'm 99% sure that Tom Brady is going to be, remain a Patriot. So if that's going to be the case, and Bill Belichick and the rest of the New England franchise really want to make the most of Brady before he does fall off a cliff, then they're going to have to get him some receiving help. As it stands right now, the Patriots have about $44 million in salary cap space. Obviously, they have to re-sign Tom Brady himself, so he's going to chew up at least half of that. It was rumoured that they're discussing a deal around the $30 million mark, so... That leaves probably between, depending on how much Brady chews up, obviously, that's going to leave 10 to 15, maybe even a little bit more million remaining in the bank for the Pats. They, in recent times, have gone to the draft to try and get some help, but I think there's plenty of help out there in the wide receiver market. And let's be honest, which receiver wouldn't want to play with Tom Brady? I know he's not the same Brady from even a couple of years ago, but he is still the GOAT, so I'm sure you could entice some wide receivers to come and catch balls from Tom Brady. There's a couple of big names out there on the free agent market in the wide receiver pool so far this season. Some of them might not remain free agents. Guys like AJ Green and Amari Cooper are pretty much certainties to stay with their respective sides. Maybe not AJ Green as a certainty, but if they draft Joe Burrow, the Bengals are definitely going to want someone to catch passes. Emmanuel Sanders maybe could be the answer, but I don't think it's wise for the Patriots to chase those big dollar acquisitions. There's plenty of other dudes they could get relatively easy on the cheap. 
One that I like the most is Robbie Anderson, who has had an up and down career so far with the New York Jets, but he is a very nice vertical deep threat. And Tom Brady, again, he's getting on in age. He's not going to go hurling the ball long and deep too often, but Anderson is a real jump ball receiver. He can get up. He's quite tall. I don't have the measurements off the top of my dome, but he's definitely a target I think the Patriots should look for. A probably cheaper version of him. You could maybe make the case for Devin Funches, who was pretty good with the Carolina Panthers and then spent the last season with the Colts, was a little bit banged up. Geronimo Allison is maybe an intriguing dude. He spent plenty of time with the New England, uh, with the Green Bay Packers, rather. Could be with the New England Patriots in the near future. Rashad Perryman is someone who is probably going to get paid after his hot second half of the season. So there's a few dudes who they could maybe add to their mix. They've already got Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry. Um, I'm blanking on the other dude's name. They still obviously have Mohamed Sanu if they want to try and keep him around. So there's enough pieces there to, for the Patriots to come up with a winning formula. Maybe they want to even look at bringing back Dami Amendola, who obviously won a couple of rings with the Pats before. So there's plenty to like for in the veteran free agency market. There's not a lot of tight ends that I think you should go after. I mean, Greg Olson has announced that he's going to part ways with the Panthers, and you've got dudes like Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald who could maybe be targets. Tyler Eifert is someone who they could probably get really cheap. He's been banged up with injuries, though. And I think a lot of the receivers from the tight end market are really kind of only red zone threats, which there's nothing wrong with adding one or two of them, but you're going to want to rely on some of these other dudes in your passing game to really push the Patriots back into Super Bowl contention. Focusing on the NBA trade deadline now, second thing I want to talk about in the Fast Five is some winners and losers from last week's deadline. If you don't know, obviously, no more trades are allowed to be made in the NBA season. We've passed the deadline, and there were some pretty intriguing moves that I addressed, I think, on last week's Fast Five, so you can check that out if you missed it, but a couple of winners and losers, I think. I'm not going to go through a whole batch of them, but I think there's some pretty clear ones. One of the winners, I think, was Andrew Wiggins, purely because he's now just freed from Minnesota. I'm not obviously a fan of the Timberwolves, but I think that Wiggins has a chance now to not become a superstar, not maybe even live up to the hype of his contract that he's playing on at the moment. But if you've got dudes like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, even to a certain extent, Draymond Green working day in, day out really hard around you, then you're going to feel like a bit of a waste of space if you're not putting in the same work ethic. So that could see Wiggins maybe even become a bit of a better version of Harrison Barnes. Obviously, not what you want if you're going to pay him a stupid amount of money. I think he makes north of 28 to 35 mil annually. So <sighs> Andrew Wiggins is such an interesting character. But regardless, I think he's going to do well in Golden State. I think he was a big winner getting freed from the Timberwolves' shackles. Similar could be said for Malik Beasley, who is kind of gone to the Timberwolves to replace Andrew Wiggins. So there's plenty of opportunity now for Beasley to become a relevant dude. He was a big part of the reason they snapped their 13-game losing streak by dropping a career-high seven threes in their latest outing. And I think Beasley, he's flirted with success at times with Denver. Had a really good season last year when Gary Harris missed some time, but has been struggling to find his mojo and carve out a niche for the Nuggets, but now that he's in Minnesota, I think we could see Beasley probably not step up to be a 20-point-per-game scorer, but definitely play a pretty good two-way role for the T-Wolves, and probably he's a restricted free agent heading in the offseason. Someone's going to splash a little bit of money towards him, and the Timberwolves will probably keep him. So either way, Beasley looks like he's going to get paid, so that makes him a big winner in the trade deadline. The other winner that I'm going to go with, and this isn't a biased pick, but... I think the Cleveland Cavaliers were winners in this trade period. They got their hands on Andre Drummond basically for a packet of chips 
in a salary dump. So whether they choose to keep Drummond around or not remains to be seen. He's got a player option for about $28 million coming up. Looked pretty good in their massive blowout loss against the Clippers in his first game as a Cav. Had 19 and 14 with a couple of threes as well. So he's only 26. So I don't know really if he's part of their long-term future, but... Giving up John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a future second to find out, I think is a good gamble. Losers from the trade deadline, and this kind of ties in with the next topic in the Fast Five, but Isaiah Thomas, unfortunately, has been waived by the Clippers after being traded by the Wizards, and honestly, I don't know if he's going to get picked up by anyone else. There's a couple of other dudes who've been waived recently that could be viable targets for a contending outfit. I don't know if IT is one of them. He did have some pretty good moments for the Wizards, especially when he initially got healthy. Right off the bat, he came out and started scoring in bunches. And for years, I've said that he can still be a contributing spark plug off the bench and lead a second unit offensively. But yeah, it's starting to become a little bit of a theme with IT. If he does find another team, it'll be his sixth team in four seasons. So feel sorry for the dude. Hopefully he can get picked up and end his career on a high. I think the Houston Rockets were another loser from the trade deadline. Their controversial move to ship Capella out and bring Covington in, I actually don't hate. I can understand why if you got Russell Westbrook and Clint Capella as two of your best five players, they don't want to have two bad shooters in their lineup. So having Rocco, I don't think is going to limit them that much. Obviously, helps give them another floor spacer and give those lanes for Harden and Westbrook to operate. But... They still need some dude to defend these big men out in the West. I don't think this formula is going to work throughout the playoffs. They might be able to get someone in the buyout market, and they might be able to, not prove me wrong, but they might be able to come up with another mix, maybe a stretch five or stretch four emerges that intrigues them. But yeah, they kind of whiffed by not really landing another backup dude. There, again, could be one out there, but I didn't really love the way they went about their business. This is a little bit harsh, but the other team I had as a loser so far was the Boston Celtics. Now, they're another team that I think should have made a move and could have maybe made a move, flipping a couple of bits and pieces around, but they're a very possible buyout landing spot for another big man. I think given the fluctuation in the East, we don't really know who the second best team is right now. It might not matter if Milwaukee steamrolls to 70 wins, but there's definitely a spot up for grabs for the number two seed. Miami's flirting with it. Toronto's torrid winning streak has them right in the mix, but yeah, I thought that the Celtics really should have taken advantage of the deadline, and they kind of missed an opportunity there. Third thing I want to discuss are some buyout candidates. If you aren't up to date, let me quickly do the rounds around the league. We saw Tyler Johnson has been waived by the Phoenix Suns. He could maybe serve a bit of a better role than Isaiah Thomas might as a scoring spark plug off your bench. Dion Waiters got bought out by the Memphis Grizzlies after being traded there from the Miami Heat before the deadline. The Lakers are apparently interested in sitting down with Waiters, which could be interesting. Don't know how well that'll work, but watch this space. Obviously, I've already talked about IT. The, probably the biggest news in the buyout market in the last 24 hours or so is that Darren Collison isn't returning to the NBA. He's going to stay retired. So both the Lakers and the Clippers were pursuing him. So that does hurt them a little bit. Might open the door for Reggie Jackson to be an appealing target. Of course, Detroit would have to buy him out. But given their recent moves, I could see them going full rebuild mode and shipping Reggie Jackson's contract off their books and allowing him to maybe be a bit of a glorified role player for a postseason team. The Lakers would be a nice fit for Reggie Jackson, I reckon. But the pick of the bunch and the dude who I highlighted first in my recent uh, NBA buyout candidate article is Tristan Thompson of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't 
Really love Thompson's fit with the Cavaliers now that they've got Andre Drummond in their front court. They've already got Larry Nance and Kevin Love to go along with him. So Thompson is just kind of an awkward dude now floating around that mix. He's not a great offensive player. He benefited from the Cavaliers' lack of able bodies in the front court to average a career high close to 15, 14 points, I want to say, at the moment, which isn't groundbreaking, but... He's been an enormous rebounder for the majority of his career, and I really think someone like the Celtics or the Rockets, who I've already talked about, could benefit if Thompson gets waived. Cleveland might want to keep him around, but he doesn't really mesh with their timeline. He's played his entire career in Cleveland, and part of me would hate to see the dude go, but I think it makes makes sense for both sides for Thompson to eventually get waived, so surely the Cavs will do the right thing and let him go before the buyout market comes to a close. Fourth topic on today's Fast Five, I want to very quickly skim through a bit of UFC news. I'm not a huge MMA dude, but if there's a big name fighting, I tend to tune in more often than not. And that was the case on the weekend again when John Jones took on Dominic Reyes. And some people are saying it was a bit of a controversial win for Jones with Reyes landing more strikes and more significant strikes, I think is the technical term for the stat. And there were times in the fight where he definitely controlled the tempo, but Jones stormed home and he ended up getting a unanimous decision win. So take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you can flip a coin. I'm not a huge MMA dude again, so... I don't know the technicality behind it or a hell of a lot of stuff, but this definitely, another win for Jones, cements his legacy as arguably the greatest UFC fighter in history. He only has one loss on his resume. He set multiple or continues to set multiple records. I think he's now got 14 title fight wins. He's defended his title 11 times. He's got 20 wins in the light heavyweight division, which is the most of all time. The 26-1 record, and that one loss was through a uh, disqualification due to illegal elbows. So, yeah, I think Jones will continue to fight a couple more dudes, but any threat that's come his way, he's pretty much taken care of. So you could definitely make the case for him as the best best mixed martial artist. Try saying that 10 times real fast. Of all time, speaking of great mixed martial artists, uh, Conor McGregor and Khabib, I don't even know how to pronounce his uh, last name, Nurmagov, Nurmagov, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, A rematch between those two controversial fighters isn't imminently on the cards. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen at all, but Khabib's manager has said that he thinks Connor still needs a few more wins and to win a few more fights during his redemption tour to earn a shot at Khabib. I think Khabib's taking on Tony Ferguson from memory to defend his title in an upcoming UFC bout, but this would be, if it comes to fruition, the most anticipated rematch and arguably the most anticipated fight in the history of mixed martial arts. Obviously, we saw Connor come back into the ring and take well, take care of Cowboy Cerrone. Cerrone, Cerrone, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm woofing this UFC segment at the moment. But obviously, we saw Connor come back and get a win. So he's definitely climbing his way back up the Octagon power rankings. And if you don't know, the last time these two dudes fought, there was plenty, plenty of stuff going on outside the ring. Connor obviously is a huge shit talker. He threw a chair at uh, Khabib's bus after I think it was UFC 229 they originally fought. And then that led to uh, Connor talking in presses more about Khabib's faith, etc. And then when Khabib did get the win, he leapt out of the octagon and started throwing hands at some of Connor's support staff. So again, this would be an unreal fight if it comes to fruition. We might have to wait a little bit for it, but all signs are pointing to this happening if Connor can keep winning and Khabib can obviously defend his t- title in an upcoming UFC bout. 
All right, time to return to a subject much closer to my heart. Fifth and final topic I want to talk about is mainly North Carolina versus Duke on the weekend. So if you missed this game, make sure you check out Sports by Fry's socials to see how it ended. Uh, spoiler alert, with the game tied, we saw Trey Jones intentionally miss a free throw at the end of regulation and then hit a long two to tie the scores at the end of regulation, which was crazy in itself. But drama didn't end there. Trey Jones then missed a potential go-ahead free throw in the final few seconds of overtime. Somehow, Duke was able to scamper up and get the ball. And then Trey Jones, once again, had a long two to win it. Missed it, but then Wendell Moore Jr. put in the game-winning put-back and capped off a pretty unreal game. So... If you missed that, do yourself a favour and at least go and check out the highlights. But that game had a couple of relevant NBA prospects in it. And I want to just talk a little bit about this upcoming draft. Again, I'm going to increase my coverage of this draft and of this collegiate class as the NBA season winds down. But there's plenty of unknowns throughout the college season at the moment. And this college basketball year hasn't really been a great one. Cole Anthony is one such dude who, now that he's healthy, could see himself rise up a couple of mock drafts. Don't really love Cole Anthony. He's a bit of a... How would I compare him? He's a little, he reminds me a little bit of Jason Kidd. He's not really a playmaking guard as much as Kidd, but gets a lot of rebounds. Don't love his jump shot, but he can still kind of score. But he's a prospect to keep your eye on. There's a lot of other dudes who we could see vault up and stake their claim as the best collegiate prospect in this year's class. Obi Topman from Dayton is one dude who could definitely be in line to win the National Player of the Year. Might not translate to the pros as a good dude, but... Someone to keep your eye on. Jaden McDaniels from Washington, I like the looks of. Pretty flexible wing, and he could be a dude that's taken in the lottery and maybe pushed towards the top 10. Similar could be said for Nico Mannion, point guard out of Arizona, but the one guy who I think could really catapult himself to the top of the food chain, and he's right up there already in the mix, is Anthony Edwards. As we've seen so far, the Georgia Bulldog is literally a bit like a bulldog. A lot of people compared him to Donovan Mitchell and Dwayne Wade in the past. Don't think he's as pure a scorer and definitely has some glitches in his game, but with James Wiseman and Lamelo Ball, two other very highly touted prospects sitting out of action at the moment, opportunity is there for Edwards to really cement himself as the number one dude in this year's draft. I think we're in line for a draft very similar to 2013 where we saw Anthony Bennett shock the world and probably now that we think about it, the biggest bust in NBA history, but he went number one, and then we saw Cody Zeller draft fourth overall. There were some other relevant dudes. Victor Oladipo went second, but Giannis Antetokounmpo was the 15th pick, and we also saw Rudy Gobert go with pick 27. So I wouldn't be surprised if this draft mirrored the 2013 draft, and we saw a player who maybe doesn't even get drafted in the lottery emerge as the best player in this year's class. And that is going to do it for this week's Fast Five. Might chalk up another one later in the week, but if not, I'll be back with another few podcasts and articles in the near future. If you haven't checked it out already, by the time you're listening to this, another NFL piece could be up having a look at the ranking, or I ranked the new head coaching hires, and an AFL goals article that I've teased for about three or four months is nearly in production will be out tomorrow so make sure you check that out as well but if not thank you for tuning into this podcast until next time peace